Going to shoot a three. Missed it, and that's the ball game. Well, for the first time this year, in a loss, the Illini get blown out. Well, it's 75-50. First time that we, we, we haven't showed up in terms of the effort. And uh, I give Wisconsin a ton of credit. They played great. Um, but, uh, again, it was um, uh, you know, a little different game plan for us in terms of trying to scheme half and, and, and what to do. And, and uh, our backside rotations were, were, were not very good tonight. And we practiced it for a few days. It's not something we... Uh, uh, that we normally do. We tried to scheme. It didn't work, and uh, I've got to take credit for that. And it's time for Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll get you caught up on your Illini sports news along with other area national sports news. Here are Lauren Tate and Michael Kaiser. Good Saturday morning, 31 degrees at 9.01. Uh, if you're just waking up this morning, went to bed uh, at halftime, uh, you didn't miss, miss much in the second half as the Illini get blown out in Madison, Wisconsin, 75-50 to 50 in a game that was only competitive competitive shortly after the opening tip. Just a really disappointing performance from the Illini. And, uh, By Brad, the way, did you notice that second half that you refer to? Mm -hmm. They had eight field goals, no trays, and no free throws. Yeah, there was. Then, <laughs> how many times do you see a whole half where there's not a free throw by the, by Illinois? That they did they didn't make it. Hey, they got a couple. Williams missed two toward the end of the game, but um, no free throws and, and just 16 points. Or, or was it nine baskets? Nine baskets. Yeah, I had written down eight, and then it, then they made one more late. So it was nine baskets, 18 points. Well, our uh, good friend Robert Rosenthal, who we're having on at nine, tended to talk football tweeted out last night during the games at some point in the second half he goes fouls are nine to zero and i don't even care <laughs> <laughs> um, that is just uh it, it, i mean there, i mean i did actually didn't even know that until i saw that tweet because i wasn't paying attention to a stat like that because it just wasn't relevant at that point the game was so out of reach uh illinois just didn't get it done on both ends of the floor and uh you know brad underwood talked about effort a lot uh bad defense a lot and you know, there were plays that you and i were just talking about uh, before the show um, where guys were just getting to the easy layups on, on the back side of the zone Iverson, defense. I, all six of Iverson's baskets were layups and dunks. Mm -hmm. I mean, they weren't paying attention to him. They were trying to scheme hop, hop, hap, as he said, and they were trying to get uh, Pritzel under control, which they couldn't do. And, and all the time, Iverson's hanging around the basket, and they just throw it to him, he put it in. There was one play where uh, he was underneath the basket and Jordan was on him. Uh, he was he was supposed to be on him, and then Jordan just stopped watching him, and he slipped up behind him and threw the pass, and Jordan had no idea what was going on until the ball was being dunked into the basket. Yeah. And, I mean, that just happened over and over again. And there was also another play um, that was very concerning to me when it came to an effort standpoint, which the players talked about, Brad Underwood talked about, a lot of guys who were at the game talked about. Was it was the effort problem? The, the where I saw Ethan Happ in the second half miss a shot. There were two or three Illini players standing there. There was not another Wisconsin player inside, and he's still got his own rebound because he just went and got it. Like I mean, he Illinois didn't even try to get the rebound, and he put it back up and in and scored with ease. And I'm just like, when you got two or three guys around one guy, and he still gets the rebound over you after he misses his shot inside, that's a problem. And that that, that was a play that just stuck with me last night as I as, after the game ended, and I haven't forgotten about that play. Oh, well, there were a lot of plays. That uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that was just an effort play for me. Um, like there was, there's no way that there's any effort involved in that play 
when you have two or three guys around and that guy still gets his own rebound and scores. I mean, he, he had no trouble putting it back up and in off the glass, and that was just really disappointing. So we'll talk about plenty of Illini basketball today. Uh, give us a call, 356-9397. Text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 351-5357. Listen live at WDWS.com. If you don't want to call or text, you want to send us an email, you can at uh, talk at WDWS.com. And as always, a podcast of this show and others are on our website and on iTunes. Uh, Robert Rosenthal, as I mentioned, coming up at 9-10 of Illini Board. Talk about the football coaching hires yesterday. Lovey Smith has filled two of his three vacancies. Uh, got an offensive coordinator and a tight ends coach. But uh, Corey Patterson, it doesn't really matter what position he has. That's not, he wasn't He's hired a recruiter. To, yeah, he wasn't hired to be a tight ends coach. That's, that's not what he was hired for. Uh, we'll talk to Robert about that. And later in the show, the offensive coordinator, Rod Smith, the new offensive coordinator, we'll hear from Matt Marino from covers the Arizona Wildcats, give us his thoughts on what Rod Smith does best, uh, what he brings to this program from a recruiting standpoint, from a coaching standpoint, from working with quarterbacks. Uh, so we'll hear from Matt, get, uh, see what he thinks that uh, Rod – if he's a great addition to the Illini staff or not. Been around Rich Rodriguez for a long time, Rod Smith has. And so a lot of experience there. But the one thing, Lauren, is that he hasn't done is called plays. Um, and Rich Rodriguez mostly, he picked the play, but then they had to run it through Rich Rodriguez. It's, it's, and so Rich Rodriguez then approved or disapproved, disapproved of the play. So he's not been, as long as he's been with Rich Rodriguez, he didn't call him as much as he, offensive, coordinator, offensive coordinator normally would. Well... So, okay. But he still has a lot of experience as an offensive I would coordinator. think that most, uh, most coaches that are from the offensive side are approving or even handling the calls yeah. on offense. But um, I just, know, I just uh, was interested in his quote where he said, this is my baby. That, uh, he said that at the convention. They asked him who was calling the plays, and he said he was. And this, he said, this is my baby. Oh, okay. So I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll find out. Yeah. But you you're undoubtedly, whatever he called had to go through the head coach, which is different from Illinois because Lovey's on the defensive yeah. side and and uh, uh, McGee was making the decisions on the play calls, uh, play after play, and I don't think that uh, Lovey might make a decision on whether to punt on fourth and one or something yeah. like that. But uh, the individual plays, I think, or play after play was called by McGee. And, uh, so, so Smith will have that opportunity here, I'm sure. Well, and the thing that uh, Rod, he's going to have to do, Rod Smith, is when he gets here, is figure out you know, the quarterback situation, who he thinks sh should be the starting quarterback. And there's, there's going to have to be a, a fifth-year transfer. Um, I, I just don't see any way around it. Um, they're going to have to have some experience at quarterback because they're down to one scholarship quarterback. MJ Rivers comes in in the summer, which makes two scholarship quarterbacks Coran Taylor we don't know what's going to happen there I mean it's, it's no, we'll find out a few he's weeks gonna make grades but they seem to be holding out hope that he's going to make it and I, I it'd be great to have him on, you know for the depth chart but there's that no experience as we speak right now even yeah. if River, Rivers that's and really bad when you got two freshmen coming in that aren't going to be here in the for spring ball because around the country a lot of the freshmen uh, uh, of that nature are coming in and, and getting the advantage of spring ball yeah, and I think that I that mean, there's no question who's going to start the first game if he's healthy, and that's Thomas. Yeah, I would think so, unless they bring in a, a fifth-year transfer who's got some experience and uh, it could help well, him. Well, that fifth-year transfer wouldn't be getting here till the fall. Yeah, that's true. He, well, he might be able to come in the summer if, if he's oh, able. Yeah, yeah. but they don't have practice in the summer. Yeah, right? that, that's all they have is like workouts with uh, Joey Bose, the strength and conditioning coach, and um, you're, the a bowl game next year is not 
a realistic goal, but you got to start winning some football games. And that's why they got to find a quarterback with some experience because I, I just don't know how you're going to win football games with freshman QBs or Cam Thomas who's played in a handful of games. Well, he doesn't seem to have the knack for throwing the ball down the field. Not that he ha- lacks the arm strength to throw it, but it's it's the understanding of the system and getting a feel for things where you pick out secondary receivers and throw with accuracy. I don't know that he's shown that yet. Well, we're going to take a timeout. We're going to bring in Robert Rosenthal of Illini Board, get his thoughts on the two coaching hires. He had an interesting thought on Corey Patterson, uh, whether he liked Corey Patterson as a hire or not. Uh, and that's most likely, Lauren, I'm guessing that Corey Patterson is going to be the 10th assistant coach, which, the, which is a new position added. So I think he's probably most likely. I mean, they didn't specify that, but I'm guessing he's going to be the 10th one, unless, there, unless that last coaching hire, the third one, is going to be the 10th one. Um, I'm not really. They didn't really specify that, but now don't, that don't they need a defensive backfield coach? Yes, they need a DBs coach. That w- that that must be what he's holding out for. He must yeah. know who it is, and I'm yeah. sure he, I'm sure he's got his hand on somebody. Yep. Well, stay with us. Uh, more Saturday sports talk coming uh, coming up uh, again. Robert Rosenthal is going to join us. Uh, look forward to get his thoughts on these coaching hires, and of course, we'll talk to him about the Illinois men's basketball game last night. Nine thirty, Kedrick Prince of Illinois Rivals will join us for a more Illinois basketball conversation. And again, at ten thirty, uh, Matt Marino will give us his thoughts on Rod Smith. Stay with us. This is Saturday sports talk here on DWS. <laughs> Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. I'm Michael Kaiser, Lauren Tate with you. 31 degrees at 912. Please be joined by Robert Rosenthal of Illini Board. Give him a follow on Twitter at Illini. Robert, good morning. How are you? Uh, I am still yeah. looking for a Big Ten win. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that was a terrible question. You know, because yeah. <laughs> you probably went to bed right after that game. That's what I did. I actually fell asleep on the couch after the game ended. But uh, let's just start with basketball, then we'll move into the, the reason we're having you on today, the football coaching hires yesterday. Uh, just a really disappointing performance, a, a lot of conversation about a lack of effort from many people who were at the game and from Brad Underwood and the players. Uh, it's just really concerning performance last night. Uh, do, what what did you take from that, and do you think it was kind of a hangover from so many close losses? Yeah, I mean, I think they were due for this. That you know they've been in every game. What was the stat? Like they let they led in the second half of eight of their nine yes. losses going mm-hmm. into this game. So they were probably due for this completely fall apart and the comeback. Isn't they? You know they've been down twenty so many times and, and come back somehow. So. Um, I think they were due for it. I actually, Lauren, I'm going to ask you this question because I was discussing this with some friends last night. So late 70s, like Gary Moeller's not going anywhere and Henson was like losing. Is this similar to that? Is this worse than that? I'm trying to I'm trying to put this in context, football and basketball. I think there was think uh, a lower point. At the time of Moeller, <clears throat> Illinois wasn't accustomed to such – a long period of failure. Moeller was a three-year collapse, and he was replaced by Mike White, who in one game lifted up the Illini fans and made him think that you know that Dave Wilson and and Eason were going to make sure. uh, we're going to bring a, a big. Uh, there was hope for the future. To to mm-hmm. now have hope for the future, you just have to be blind. I mean, because yeah. there isn't any reason to be hopeful. There is. It's possible. I'm not saying that. Yep. Anything's possible, but the the hope that we had in those days 
is has been uh, pretty well nullified by the long period of failure, up and down failure. But, you know, every time Illinois has been pretty good, they turn turn right around, and, and particularly in football, we have a good year, and then they have four or five bad ones. You know, yep. and, and uh, but no, there was there was a period of time there under under White and Makovic where Illinois was really competitive, beating Ohio State Absolutely. and doing things like that, and and uh, you know there, there yep. was certain pride still in the program. The pride has been pretty much shot out, shot down. Yeah, and I think you know we were trying to come up come up with a time where combined between basketball and football there was a season like this, and I think 1978 is really the only time. Henson's third year, he was losing. I think he went 13 and 15 or something like that. And maybe there was some hope, you know. I think Eddie Johnson was there by then or whatever. But um, you know, between football and basketball, you know, what are we, we're we're January 20th now, and we. There's still no conference win to either team. I mean, I know that's never happened before. So, nope. you know, it's just hard to put this into context. Now, obviously, you know, obviously Josh Whitman came in. He hired two new coaches. They're building their programs. You can't really, you know, the whole idea is that this is the low point and goes up from here. But um, as far as the fan base is concerned, the fans I talk to and my friends and everybody else, I really can't think in my lifetime. Uh, of a moment where where things were more bleak, and and there's still that feeling about Chief Alaniwick that people have, that people hang on to that uh, is part of the discouragement. You know, we not only lose games, we don't have the chief. What's there to cheer for? You know, it, it's almost <laughs> an yep, attitude like that. I hear like it that. every game on Twitter. Yes, people will reach out to me and say, you know, the whole no chief, no check thing, or you know, some believe in this like curse of the chief that since 2007 everything is tanked because of that and all this stuff. So, yeah, it's 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 a low point. Robert Rosenthal of Alani Board joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Well, Robert, um, where do we go from here with with this season, with this basketball season? Uh, Trent Frazier obviously is uh, a focal point right now in the way he's been playing, had an off game last time in terms of turnovers, four turnovers. But uh, where do you go from here? Tijon Lucas was there last night for the first time. Uh, he didn't travel to the to Nebraska, but he did not play. Drew Casey came into the game. Uh, we reached the point where walk-ons are now getting significant minutes. But uh, where do we go from here? Uh, where do you see a Big Ten win at this point? Because I don't even want to talk about Monday's game. Right. Well, when the schedule came out, we had looked at Monday as as the end of the awful. That Big Ten schedule came out. Five of the first seven were on the road, and then the eighth game was was Michigan State. Um, after that, you don't play a ranked team. Uh, I guess Ohio State is ranked now, so I'm trying to think of when that comes in. But, you know, it was always looked at as these first eight games are unsurvivable, but after that, hopefully you make a run in the second half of the Big Ten schedule. So, you know, that's, that's kind of where my thoughts are. Get get Monday out of the way, let Michigan State come into Champaign and, and, and dunk all over everyone, and then um, see if you can build some momentum for next year uh, in, in the, final, the final 10 Big Ten games. You know, Michigan State had been, before last night, uh, had not played for the last uh, three or four games, but uh, sure. they got it going again last night, just blowing out Indiana 85-57. I'm like, of course, right before they come to Champaign, they get it back rolling again, and uh, that's. Yeah. I hate. I wish that game was in East Lansing. I don't really don't want that as a home game. <laughs> You're right. You're right. But you know this. You know, I I set the goal right now as 
the, the media in, in October picked this Illinois team to be 12th in the Big Ten. Right now, they're not meeting up to that. So the goal is to not finish last, basically, at this point. The goal is, okay, make a little run the final 10 games, get out of the basement, finish with a few maybe surprise wins, do something in the Big Ten tournament, and then start thinking about next year. You got the whole offseason to, to learn the system further. You get, you know, I.O. coming in. You have Maui as your stage to show people next November that you're you're improved and you're, and you're doing something. So, uh, long road ahead. Well, let's switch gears. Atlanta football, uh, we've been patiently, impatiently waiting for several weeks for a new offensive coordinator uh, with three vacancies on the staff. Now there's only one vacancy left. Uh, Rod Smith announced yesterday as the offensive coordinator, but I wanted to talk to you about Corey Patterson first. Uh, not, you're not uh, totally sold then that hire. Uh, you're not as big of a fan as other people are. Uh, you think it's too big of a risk. Uh, I personally, I think with the way Illinois football has been, I think a risk and a gamble is what you got to do. Uh, but you, but you disagree. Did I read your tweets correctly yesterday? That that is correct. Um, I'll say it this way: it's going to be kind of a long answer. So That's I'm, fine. Go ahead. I'm in St. Louis. I'm in I'm in St. Louis, and um, I, I know people kind of in the in the high school football uh, scene down here. Um, I, I probably have to go full disclosure here. Uh, my son played football at a private high school where Patterson was an assistant coach at the time. Okay. I don't know him personally, but I've known who he is for the last five, six, seven years. So I, I know how his career was built. Uh, he was a youth football coach, uh, had this youth program that got really good, uh, and a bunch of high schools, probably similar to what's going on right now, a bunch of high schools said, hey, uh, what if he came? What if those kids came and played it? You know, came out of your program and came to our high school and and played. And so he was at CBC for a while. Uh, then he was at Trinity and he, and he got the head coaching job at Trinity four years ago. Um, he got most all of those talented kids, kids that maybe had been been going to the MCC programs. That's the Metro Catholic Conference in St. Louis football. That's everything. Those five schools: CBC, Chaminade, Desmet. Uh, Viani and St. Louis University High School. Those are the those are the feeder programs, if you will, the way St. Louis football works. And so, you know, you know, obviously they don't quote recruit, but yes, they recruit. And um, so some of these kids stopped feeding to those programs and started going to this very tiny one A school um, in Trinity Catholic. Uh, and so, at, at, you know, in that sense, Patterson uh, really is a smart guy. Uh, really understands how that system works in St. Louis football, got the right players to stick around, but he's also just five years removed from being a youth football coach. Uh, this is not somebody experienced. So I would say that's the thing that concerns me um, that uh, are we, you know, I, I had my eye on these other guys, like Frisman Jackson is a guy who uh, Baylor just hired yesterday as their wide receivers coach. So he could have been a tight end coach here. Um, he was an assistant at NC State for a while. He was an assistant at NIU at Northern Illinois with, with Thad Ward at the time. He's from Chicago. He went to Morgan Park High School, recruited the state at Western, recruited the state while he was at, at NIU. You know, a guy like that who's been recruiting, he's recruited for NC State. You know, he has a little NFL experience. He's got Chicago roots. 
that's the kind of guy I'm saying, okay, let's get somebody experienced in here who's done this recruiting thing. So while I have my eye on all these guys that are, you know, okay, there's, there's your guy that he knows how the college recruiting game works. So when, when I see Illinois hire a high school coach to get access to his players, likely, I mean, again, he could have nailed the interview and be the next great thing Mm -hmm. and be Gus Malzahn who went straight from, you know, Gus Malzahn was hired just to get Mitch Mustaine to go to Arkansas. <laughs> so, you know, he was just hired for one player, and now he's the head coach of Auburn. So I'm not saying, no, this is never going to work or anything like that. I'm just saying, in my view, I wanted to see an experienced recruiter, um, somebody who has done this at the college level and, and knows how it works and can build long-term relationships. Well, that's a reasonable approach on your part. I I just think that uh, they've got to crack the St. Louis area, and I just wonder if he wouldn't be the right guy to do that. I mean, he, he at least he knows who the who the players are, and he's got access to them, and many of them are, are probably going to be playing for Trinity this coming season. Yes, and and I and I want to speak to that a little as well. In that, I you know my son played youth football in St. Louis. Um, we. <laughs> You know, you kind of learn how the whole thing works. Uh, the city of St. Louis, uh, the not the county, but the city itself, got really smart about youth football, built some programs. You know, it used to be, you know, 10, 15 years ago, all these, like, kid programs out in the suburbs, like it is in Texas or whatever. You know, rich parents pay for good youth programs, and they get their kids personal trainers when they're six and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, the city got really smart and built powerhouse teams of of kids that have been trained uh from a very young age of football and i think you're seeing that now you know in the same way that people want u.s soccer to develop players at home and you know build these academies and this type of thing so that the u.s soccer program can write up you've seen st louis recruiting the past few years and even next year these kids are really experienced you're starting to get a quote unquote texas-like feel that these are kids who are prepared and have been playing football for a long time and, and are growing out of these, you know, after school programs and things like this. So all of that put together, yes, it is good to have a guy who is connected to that whole scene because I believe this area is going to keep cranking out, you know, three-star, four-star recruits like it did this past year. You know, this past year was the best year St. Louis has ever had as far as recruiting rankings. But next year looks strong as well. And, you know, Georgia and Alabama are already in here offering kids some Trinity and, and Lutheran North and all this. So, you know, it's it's somewhere to get involved. And if Patterson can get Lovey involved there, that could be huge. I'll just say this one thing, and I'm sorry I'm long-winded. No, but it's fine. This is a, a passionate topic for me. My other concern and my other view toward recruiting is, I, I am one who likes uh, connections at high schools that last four years. Look at what Missouri has done with Darren Sunken and East St. Louis. Um, they have been connected there. They have been uh, – Cornell Ford, their assistant, is very close with the East St. Louis program. East St. Louis trusts the Missouri program and sends them their kids because they know they'll be treated right and they'll play and they – you know. And so that has been a 10, 12-year relationship of more than a dozen recruits going there. I, I, when I see high school coaches 
I prefer to be close with them while they continue year after year to produce really good recruits and send them your way. It's the way Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and, you know, everybody recruits by getting connected to high schools over, over long periods of time. Not so much just hiring the high school coach so that current crop can come, and then who knows after that. So that's why I'm a little hesitant on this. I would much prefer a recruiter that can stay connected to high schools instead of bringing the high school to Champaign. Well, Robert, I, I feel like this is an out-of-the-box hire for Levy. Uh, this is just not – I I knew that this was possible. I'm like, I, I just don't think Levy's going to do that. Uh, Levy's going to want an NFL guy, one of his former assistants, or someone he just knows – uh, someone he trusts. Uh, he's only known Corey Patterson for a couple of years, obviously, because he's only been here for a couple of years. Uh, so this this is an out-of-the-box high for Lovey. But I like it because Illinois football has had, since started since 1930, there have been two winning decades for this program. Ten-year stretches, so which is obviously a decade. Two mm-hmm. winning decades. You have to do something different to try to stem the tide. I, I, the last little part you just said there, I could see that concern for sure where, okay, when Corey Patterson's kids are all gone in a few years, do you have a connection anymore? Uh, that, that's a legit question. But I felt like they have to do something different because the traditional way of doing this and doing that isn't working here anymore. And it, it, well, it hasn't worked. I mean, that's We've changed uh, staff so frequently exactly. that – uh, you can't sustain any kind of relationship with any school. Yeah, that, because that, you got different head coach with a different assistant coach. We keep changing offensive coordinators. If you want to, you want to land people that are uh, uh, offensive players. You need to have some kind of continuity, and and uh, that doesn't exist. And the only place that doesn't matter is Alabama. They get a new offensive coordinator every year. Yep, but, but they it's got Alabama. The same head coach every year. Yeah, and they got it's Nick Saban. <laughs> yep. It doesn't even matter if they have an offensive coordinator every other game at Alabama. They're still going to be fine. <laughs> right. It's a it's a totally different situation. I, but I I just time for something different. Time for something out of the box. And if this fails too, then I then I'm at a, I'm at a loss for words at, at that point. Yeah. And I I understand that, and I and I agree with that. Like if this works, it's a brilliant move like Patterson didn't just get a few kids to choose Trinity he got a you know the majority from that program and I think there are seven high major recruits in the next two classes from his high school and you have to understand Trinity is tiny like it plays in 2A football but that's because they're private so it's like a 1A school we're talking the size of Arcola here oh, wow. high school like this That's is small. This, it's a private private school with very very few uh, students. So, you know what he's able to do at this tiny school and get them to be number one in the state because of all this talent. Uh, it's it's impressive. It's uh, you know if he can translate that to college, then yes. Well, he has convinced Lovey. Brilliant. I'm com- I'm sure he has convinced Lovey he can do that. That's why he's hired. Yeah, you would have to think that's how the interview went. Yes, yeah. you're right. Yes, and I, I'll i just say that I'm not convinced. I wasn't sitting in the interview, but, you know, I, I, I'm here with these two things. A, I want an experienced guy like this Brisbane Jackson guy who Baylor hired. Uh, and B, I, I'm not sure long-term connections can be made if the coach leaves. Then it's one crop of players, and then that, that advantage is cut off. So, um so, yeah, I'll, I'll just have to remain skeptical. 
Well, Isaiah Williams is one of those players that Lovey would like to bring in. Uh, I think I think he got an offer from Florida State yesterday. If I saw that, if I remember that correctly. Um, yes. I think if it pays off immediately, that's great. I think down the road, I mean, I think if it pays off into the early twenties, you know, I, th- I think that uh, then you get some wins and get and get some consecutive seasons with above five hundred. When's the last time we've been able to say we've had three, four, five, six straight seasons of consecutive seasons? We haven't said that since what the eighties. Uh, yeah. I, I I think it's so. Hopefully, it pays off for at least that. But long term, I, I mean, how much longer is Lovey going to be here? I, I, and so, then you're changing coaches again if he's here gone after you know the five or six years. So it's see what happens. Uh, that's yep. it. And, and it's ironic that there's an Isaiah Williams, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, Juice too, uh, who who is a quarterback. I, you know, he's he's a pretty short kid. He's like. Five nine, he'd have to pull a Jason Reduceco to play quarterback. But they hired Rod Smith, and Rod Smith, if he's running the Rich Rod offense, uh, that's an offense that can run with a quarterback that really struggles to throw. It, it can be a, you know, just make the short throws, and all the runs will make everything else happen. So, you know, if yesterday is you got Rod Smith, the offensive coordinator who can run with a quarterback. And then Corey Patterson is able to deliver an athlete like Isaiah Williams. Then suddenly Illinois football looks a whole different because you have a quarterback who can run that system. And, you know, Cam Thomas can probably run that system and MJ Rivers can probably run that system. So, um, so yeah, it could, it could be that yesterday was a really good day. I'm just, uh, you know, I just prefer the well-trodden path. But you're, but you're a fan of the Rod Smith hire and his experience with yeah, Rich Rod. And yep. what do you think he brings uh, from a recruiting standpoint? Um, recruiting, I've read something where he's he's connected into some of those uh, uh, some of the JUCOs. I'm, I'm curious to see if Lovey does that. It looked like he brought in a couple JUCOs other places he's been. You know, Lovey so far, I guess he did Delshawn Phillips and he did Nick Walker was a JUCO kid in this class that just enrolled. Um, but he, you know, Tim Beckman did 21 JUCOs in his first three classes, uh, and Lovey hasn't done that so far. So I'm kind of curious if, if Rod Smith does that. Um, but the way we saw Lovey set up his staff with with McGee, I don't know if McGee was that out on the road, always recruiting kind of guy as much as some of his other assistants. So I don't know if maybe Rod Smith is going to be you know, maybe more involved on the macro level of recruiting and which are our main targets and that type of thing. And his main responsibilities are, are, are back in champagne and, and building the offense. Well, uh, Robert, uh, two, one scholarship quarterback is, is Cam Thomas and the MJ Rivers is coming in this summer. Uh, Lauren and I talked about the top of the show, got to get a fifth year grad transfer uh, how critical do you think that is uh, for this upcoming season to get another quarterback, but, but one that has experience? Because, you know, Karan Taylor might be coming in, might not be coming in, but you're talking two freshmen if he does come in and then a guy that played a handful of games in Cam Thomas. Cam Thomas. Do, you, do you see them really looking for an experienced quarterback who could actually play this season to help them win some games to get some momentum going? Yeah, you would have to think that that's the case. Um you know, ask any college coach in the country, okay, you're going to go into your third season with one true sophomore who played four games and one true freshman who's never played. And 
everybody will tell you that's insane and you should bring in 16 transfers. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, I think, I think that will, you know, there's usually that market. There's a lot of fifth year quarterbacks every year now um, that they've been sitting, been sitting, been sitting almost like crouch. If he wasn't quote hanging up his cleats and wanted to play somewhere, um, you know, he's got his four years, he's got his degree. And so he could, you know, be immediately eligible next year. So, you know, with the departure of George and Crouch, you have to think that they are, you know, even if they're having to look down a level to FCS to find somebody, that they'll get somebody experienced to, to, to battle in there. Probably not a backup uh, like Alabama has. Probably not a backup fifth-year transfer that's uh, as good as Alabama's backup was a couple weeks ago. I mean, I would love for Illinois to – there's such a market there now with, um, you know, all of the, like, what is it? Alabama has, has the, the two guys, Georgia, you know, Eason is going to transfer mm-hmm. them. You know, now they'll have another battle next year. And, you know, if this field kid win the job, then prom might transfer, you know, there's that market all the time where there's constantly quarterbacks going to top end programs, don't win the job and immediately are looking to get out. Um, I'd love to see Illinois start, start living somewhere in that market. Sure. Well, Robert, we're out of time. Uh, thanks so much this morning and uh, we'll see how this develops. And, uh, it's uh, going to be a watch and see over the next couple of years. It's not something that we're going to learn right away. Agreed, and I'll just say that I really hope I'm wrong. Well, uh, this kind of sounds bad, but I hope you are too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, appreciate it. Thanks, Robert. We'll talk to you later. Thanks, Robert. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. That is Robert Rosenthal of Illini Board, and an interesting take. Uh, he makes some good points, but but like well, I said. He's more familiar with the guy. Sure. He knew him yeah. when he was an assistant coach in high school. So, you yeah. know, that's that's a different perspective. Uh, the fact that he's been able to attract these tremendous players mm-hmm. to that small Trinity school would indicate he has some qualities in terms of dealing with people and dealing with families and dealing mm-hmm. with kids. And so maybe he can, uh, maybe that can be converted. I would, I would think it's a good gamble. I'd I mean, what do you got to lose? Nothing. We've got, we've got some guys on the staff that are not, and they're not bringing in players. If you're a cr- assistant coach and you can bring in players, you are valuable. Yeah. doesn't matter what position you coach. doesn't I matter mean, if you can coach. Other than the <laughs> offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator who call plays, everybody else is just taking orders It doesn't on the you, field. If you can recruit but you can't coach as an assistant, I don't care. I, I, you need to bring in players and let the head coach and somebody – you clearly got to have some other coaches who can help you out with it from that <coughs> standpoint. Um, but I, I, you have absolutely nothing to lose. Again – two winning decades since the 1930. The big difference between Chicago and St. Louis is that the players in St. Louis are concentrated in a very small number of schools, mm-hmm. and the players in Chicago area are, are all over the place, mm-hmm. you know, all over the suburbs, all over in the city. I mean, they're player here, the player there, player here, player there. You don't know where you're going to find them. I mean, they're, they're there, but it's a much bigger population, and, and they're spread among many more schools. And Thad Ward has focused on St. Louis uh, Prior to now, I imagine that will change and maybe get his enthusiasm and his ability to recruit, which he also does in Florida, up to Chicago. And I think that would be nice if they can get some players from there because Thad Ward in Chicago, uh, I think, could change things a little bit, uh, just in a really infectious personality. Got to take a timeout. We're going to switch back over to basketball. Kedrick Prince is uh, patiently waiting for us, uh, get his thoughts from Illinois rivals on the game last night. Uh, Tijon Lucas uh, not playing, but he was on the bench last night. All that's coming up. Stay with us. This is Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Drives with four, with three, with two. Pass to Pritzel with one for three. Got him. 
and his second three of the game, and it's a 12-point Wisconsin lead. 34-22, they're hitting everything tonight. Badger shooting 72%. Frazier drives in, lost the ball. Turned it over. The Illini with their sixth turnover. Down to two to shoot. Pritzel with a three. Banked it up and in. Banked it up and in. Well, you know it's your night when that happens. My goodness, that was a 25-foot three, and he banked it in with one on the shot clock. I'm really, really, really disappointed with our effort, and it wasn't everybody, but um, uh, our, our effort uh, from certain guys was uh, uh, was was substandard, and uh, um, can't do that. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. Disappointing highlights from Wisconsin last night. Uh, plenty of shot clock buzzer beaters by the Badgers against the Illini in that game, along with other defensive lapses uh, during the game. Illinois lost 75-50. Illinois has now lost five straight, 0-7 in the Big Ten, 10-10 and on the season. Please be joined now by Kedrick Prince of Illinois Rivals. Kedrick, uh, I won't even ask how you are this morning, just uh, good morning. <laughs> You're right. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. Sure. Well, um, I, a lot of people that I talked to, uh, whether it be Brian uh, Barnhart, uh, he he talked to Doug Altenberger, uh, several people felt good, even though it's the Kohl Center, even though it's Madison, and Illinois for years has struggled up there. They got a couple wins there in the mid-2000s, and then 2010 when Demetri McCamey and others were there. I just felt good about the game last night. I'd like Wisconsin's just not playing well. They're nine and ten. Ethan Happ is their best player by far, and, it, and I felt like Illinois had a good shot to win that game if they played halfway decent. And they're just that just didn't happen. Were you surprised by the by the performance last night? No, not by the performance. I mean, Illinois never, in my opinion, they've never shot well there. They've won some games there over the years, but the Cole Center, the Rams, has just never been kind to Illinois. It's kind of like how I feel about the United Center at sometimes sometimes, but I didn't think they would get blown out, but I knew it was going to happen because they've been in every game. It's kind of like, you know, what Robert just talked about, you know, at some point in time, it was going to happen. They were competitive, you know, but it was painful to see them to get beat so bad by a team that was nine and 10, you know, and, you know, you can look at, you, you watch the game, the shot clocks, 27, 28, and they bank two or three shots in. It's just, it just wasn't their night, and it's frustrating for people to sit and watch when you know, you know, on a neutral court, they probably would win. But 0-7 in the Big Ten and 10-10, and 10, nobody expected that. I'm sorry. Well, and um, one of the things that we talked about last night of the game was, was the effort and the, and the area of concern from that. Um, and one play, and I told this Lauren at the top of the show, and uh, you might have been listening, was when Ethan Happ missed a shot with two or three players around him, two Illinois players around him. He got the own, his own rebound and put it back in it, put it back in it, and, and I'm just kind of going. That's I'm, effort. Yeah, that, that's but all effort. Rebounding is yeah, it's, it's effort. There was a play last night where I think Ethan probably missed it on purpose and went and got it back over Finky and Lamont both. That, you know, Talent is talent, you know, offense is offense, but playing defense and being able to rebound is pride, and it's just hard. And last night, I won't mention names because I, I don't think that's fair, but there were two kids last night that I just didn't think they cared if they were out on the floor. And it was noticeable, to me at least it was. 
And I know if I can see that, I know the coaching staff can see that because they're being paid millions of dollars to see that. I just – I don't want to say the kids have quit because it's one game, you know, because if they quit Monday, they could get beat by 100. So and I know darn well, you know, Brad is trying to push every button. He's used different tactics to motivate kids. But if we have to motivate kids to play at the Big Ten level, then they probably shouldn't be there. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll disagree with both of you. I don't think it was a lack of energy. I think it was a lack of being able to handle uh, what uh, Wisconsin threw at them offensively. The defense simply broke down, and once you allow layups repeatedly, then the other, stars, other shots start falling, and you're just helpless. I mean, they, they, we've been talking about their overguarding defense all season long about how they create turnovers, but – there was a period of time from a four-minute mark to the two-minute mark of the first half where they had one turnover, Wisconsin, and they simply broke down the Illinois defense to the point where it was it was ridiculous. I mean, I I don't I think that they were out schemed more than any. I think that they went into the game with this idea: we're going to double team Haas. As soon as he gets the ball, double team, and here goes uh, in the first play of the game. Here comes. Black running over to help Fanky and and uh, Hap threw the ball away and I thought, boy, that's good. That's just what they yeah. planned. Well, that didn't continue. No, uh, he figured it out. He had five assists in the game. Then he started scoring. I I don't know. I mean, I uh, this whole idea of, of guys. I I know what you're saying and I know what Underwood's saying. But I don't believe it. I don't believe they went in without without energy. I don't believe that. I well, don't believe they go into any basketball game without it. It's fun to play. It's a fun game. There were several people, media members that we work with who were at the game last time who also watched the game who weren't there that said the same thing. There was just no effort. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't yeah. agree with that. I don't believe uh, that. Well, I, so I, That just simply is not possible. I guess it Everybody is. makes you know, effort in every possible. game. It's possible. That's not. Oh, come okay, on. we disagree. Every I, game I just want to make sure that you understand I completely sure. disagree yeah. with yeah. both of you. Yeah. No, and that's fine. And here's the other thing that what I've seen. I think they overplay. I've seen that. If you want to beat Illinois defensively, everybody talks about the schemes. They overplay so hard. You get, you beat them back door, you're going to score. You yeah. can go back to yep. Maryland. You could, you could say the same thing last night. Nebraska figured out. The other way to beat them is to play a 1-3-1. Yes. <laughs> That's true, too. As good as, as, as Trent Frazier is, and Nebraska did it the best. They put two big guys. They put Roby up top to try to slow him down. And that's, you know, a compliment to Trent. But to me, and this is no disrespect to anyone else on that roster, in today's game in 2018, you have to be able to have kids who can create their own shot. That's right. Illinois and Illinois has got a bunch of guys that can't kid. do that. Smith can't create None. his own shot. Williams no. can't create his own shot. No. And it isn't the, that they're playing without Jordan energy. Camp. It's they're playing without ability. Yes. And, you know, and that's no, and that's no knock on the players. I could, I, if Trent really, really wanted to, if Brad Underwood said, I want you to get 25 shots a game, I'm telling you both, if whoever's listening to this show, the kid would average 20 points a game. Because I watched him shoot over Jeremiah Tillman. I watched him shoot over half last night. That kid is the only kid on the roster that can do that. And if you look at all the other Big Ten schools, they all have kids who can do it. They have more than one. Illinois has two players right now that are offensive threat, LeBron Black and Trent Frazier. You're going to get points from Binky from time to time. You may get 10 points from Mark Smith. 
but consistently, you are never going to win with two players. The good teams and the great teams that are competing for conference titles, whether the ACC, Big 12, Big 10, they have three players that can score. Lou Henson has said it, Michael Jordan has said it, and until Illinois gets another player to step up and be consistent, this is not going to change. That's uh, the three-point shooting. Obviously, has been a, a big-time problem. The and it's season-long problem. Uh, so lack of interior play and three-point shooting. The last two games, Illinois is four of thirty-two from downtown. Yes, and the shooting thirty-two percent all on the season and twenty-seven percent of Big Ten play. So no post presence to speak of. Laurent Black shooting a, a lot of little hooks and jump shots, and that you can't shoot threes either. You're you're just not going to win games like that. Wisconsin had both last night. Wisconsin right. didn't shoot and, both three well, but they hit yeah. some threes late. And the shot clock. And, I, this, and this isn't Coach Underwood's fault, but, you know, he's been given the job and this is his first year. Now he's going to have to go out to get players to fit his system. Everybody knows any size. You know, and you don't need, you know, the days of Shaquille O'Neal when you throw the ball in the post and just dunk other people. Yeah, the game has changed. They have a freshman who's a rim protector. They don't have anybody who can just go to the block and just score over the top of people. LeRon, yeah, you know, he's an undersized four-man is, is what he is. It's not Finky's game. You can't blame him for that. Shooting, I mean, if you would have told me that Mark Smith would be, what, shooting 12% or 13% from three, I would have never believed that. I saw that kid in high school. Now, high school and college is different, and I'm going to tell you, it is different. You know, Iowa's coming in next year, and it's going to be a change for him too. You know, I'm not saying that he can't be successful because Trent's successful. Well, I'm going to tell you, if you are intimidated and you can't break down your defender, it, it weighs not, on you. You're I mean, struggling. Smith yeah, can't, the, Smith can't get open. That's the problem. He just can't get open. You know, and people know, and then defensively he has mental apps and he, he has silly fouls. They need, you know, when people did the predictions, you're right, most people had them picked to finish 12th, 13th, 14th. But the people who were, like me, being unrealistic about it, I knew how good Mark Smith was in high school, and I thought he'd be more effective. But he's only a freshman, you know, so I get that part of it. You know, there's still time to, to grow. You look at a guy like Aaron Jordan, he's a great shooter if he's open. Yep. But is he able to create, go between his legs and step back and get a three? I've not seen him do that once. Not a slam against him. It's not his game. Yeah. And if they don't recruit kids to do that, and you look at Underwood this week, you know, last week, McKinney, Fletcher, and Ramsey, he, rec- he offered three shooting guards because they can't shoot. And in, in his system, you have to be able to do that. Well, you need to be able to make your teammates better. And you can't make your teammates better unless you can beat the guy guarding you. I mean that's just yeah. a simple fact. I mean, if you, this is why uh, Fraser is is so valuable because he can beat the guy that's gardening, and at least on occasion. Now they're going to start zoning Illinois and they're going to double team him wherever he goes. I don't think he's going to be able to score at the rate that he has been because I think teams are going to take that away. Yeah, I, I think they well, can. I, I mean, I right. think if uh, he's he can't just stand out and shoot threes all day long. He's gonna he's got to try to get in there, and and I I think that most teams are going to emphasize that because they only have two things to defend against Illinois. One is Black's uh, turnaround, you know, that fadeaway jumper that he's got, and uh, the the plays that Fraser was able to meet, make with his dribble. And once you That's determine it. what those things are, and nobody else steps up, Illinois is in trouble. Yes, they are, and I'm going to tell you it's. <clears throat> You know, it's very likely, and, you know, I know people don't want to hear this, it's very likely they don't win a Big Ten game. It's possible. I mean, people say, oh, you know, if, yeah, you know, that's never going to happen. 
Rutgers is a lot better than what they are. Yeah. You know, look, we, we see how good Ohio State is. You know, um, you know how good, Indiana. If there's no easy wins, and this is what the Big Ten wanted. They, there's, you're on your right. There's great coaches in the conference. You slow down Trent Frazier, you get a big guard, and you trap him, make him give the ball up, and make someone else beat you. Illinois is going to be in trouble. They have to make shots. And I, last night watching, you know, Wisconsin carved that defense up, and they got layups. It was embarrassing, but, you know, according to Coach Underwood, they, you know, they didn't rotate, they practiced it, and they didn't go over it. And some of the kids, to me, like I said to you, I, I don't know, and I heard LeRon Black's comments, you know, kids need to be held accountable and to play with more enthusiasm. You know, I don't want to be the dead horse here, but I just looked at one kid and I thought, you know what, how can you come out here and knowing you're on national TV and just let people out-rebound you like that and blow by you on defense like that. But again, you know, Lauren, you know, you're probably right. It's talent. You know, they can't do it. They can't do it. Yeah. Kedrick Prince joining us at Illinois Rivals. Give him a follow on Twitter at KedPrince4. Um, a guy that was with the team last night, uh, Tijon Lucas, uh, he did not travel to Nebraska. He traveled with the team to, to Madison. Drew Casey played uh, before him. I'm not surprised he didn't play last night. Brad said uh, available if needed prior to the game. So that told me he wasn't going to play unless he really, really had to play. Um, do you think he plays Monday night at all? I'm going to be – this is the one few times I'm going to be politically correct. I don't know how much he's going to play and if he's going to play again. Again, I just know, you know, I just don't know if you will. I mean, and as needed, when you listen to his press conferences, which we all do, he's very short and blunt when the topic is discussed. He's mm-hmm. not avoiding it. You can tell he's not happy. You know, like I listen to your show. We all know what happened. And yep. the bottom line is, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to him. And truthfully, you know, it's a decision that he made. Some people say to me they're college students and they make mistakes. It's a Big Ten education that these students are getting, you know, and opportunity that a lot of kids would want to have. And also just your teammates. you got to look at the picture with, with the whole team. So I don't know if they really need – I don't want to say they, they don't need him because they will because if Trent gets hurt, Trent will get tired, he's going to wear down eventually. That's going to happen. At some point in time, he will wear down. So will he get back in the game? I, I, I don't know. I mean, like Brad said, as needed. Well, they played a walk-on ahead of him last night. I don't know what the, the plan is, but I will tell you, without mentioning names, because I, I can't speak specifically on anybody, there's going to be a big change in that roster between now and next year. Yeah. This is going to be like Lovey okay, in football. Thank you. Lovey just brought the well, guys in you. and told the guys, and whether it was Crouch or George or anybody else, you, you know, you don't fit in our plans. Uh, if you want to go somewhere else, go ahead. And that's what happened. And and I think there's going to be a very similar thing. He's He's told his assistant coaches he wants to get some more players, and he's not satisfied with the ones he has. Lauren, I'm going to tell you something. One of the things I do is I call recruits, and I'm going to tell you it's different. What you just said, that should be tweeted because I'm going to tell you it's going to happen. They're not happy. Their recruiting efforts with some of these kids, they they offer scholarships to some kids, and then some kids they talk to. I'm telling you, and you're 100% right, that roster is going to be different. And I'm going to tell you, they don't they don't care who you are. They're going to get kids to fit his system. They were hired. Lovey Smith and Brad Underwood were hired to change the program around and to win games. And I'm going to tell you, Lovey's a quiet guy, demeanor. He's competitive. You can see with the coaching changes that he just made. And Brad doesn't hide it. 
he's very aggressive. That roster will be different. I'm t- I've called kids and talked to kids this week, a few of them, and, and they've said they've heard from Illinois more in the last month than they have all season. It's going to be different. And you can't blame the guy because these kids have been given a chance. The kids that John Gross recruited fit his system. This is a new regime and a new system, and it's not a knock on these kids, but it's just not meant to be. And some people look at all oh, the coaches are ruining the program. That's not it. They have to build. This Illinois is in a bad place athletically right now. Besides, tr- every team they play is better athletically. That, yes, they are. that athletic it's, is a key word right there. That's yeah. the most important thing we've said all morning. They're just not athletic. Which is why we keep talking about Trent. No, they're not, which is why we keep talking about Trent. <laughs> the guy that I'm really I'm happy about, I'm really happy to see Lalonde do what he's able to do. We're all focused on Trent because he's a freshman and because he's new. LaRon is consistent. Every coach, every opposing coach, when you go to the press conference, will talk about LaRon Black first because he is effective. And for him to do what he's doing, I tip my hat to the kid. You know, I knew I knew last year, a couple of years, he was really unhappy himself. He had doubts about staying in the program himself. You know, so for him to stay with it, I'm happy. I'd like to see the kid get to the tournament. He was a top 40 recruit, could have went to a lot of other places. He's living up to his abilities, but I just he needs help. Yeah, Kedrick, I want to ask you a question a little off the subject. What do you think? So, I think they're going to delay the, uh, the the NCAA decision on the on the uh, ability to transfer after mm-hmm. one year after any year, at least one time in your career, and if you have a 2.7 or 2.8, if they pass that. What's that going to mean to college basketball? Uh, I was talking to Curtis Clark, who is DJ Carton's basketball coach at Bendel High School. He thinks that's going to be bad for some schools, especially some of the bigger schools. You know, like, you know, somebody like Illinois, that's probably going to be very, very beneficial to them. Because Curtis mentioned to me it's going to handcuff coaches because if a kid gets mad about anything, right. they can leave. Absolutely. And that's going to look ugly for college basketball because there's tons of reasons. And I'm going to tell you, there's kids on the roster right now in Illinois that are talking about it. It's very common. And I think that could be bad. And if you don't get the right kid or if you don't get a kid to fit your system, then you're stuck with nine or ten kids on the roster because you're allowing the kid to leave or eight kids on the scholarship roster. That's bad. And I, I don't want to see that happen. I really don't. I see it, why they do it, but I don't think that's good for college basketball. I really don't. I don't think you have any coaches in favor, many coaches no. in favor. I, I, I no, almost said any. Maybe it's not any coaches would be in favor of it. Well, I think the it's coaches at the – well, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say the coaches like at the in Missouri Valley level and, and other mid-majors, I mean, they're just going to get plucked all the time. Oh, boy. If they get a good player, a guy yeah. pops up, you'll be gone. Yeah, he'll be gone. I mean, like, he, he had a great freshman season, he's gone. And it's just like it's going to yeah. be hard to sustain those programs. That's why I'm sort of against it. I get that coaches come and go as they please. And uh, and that's what the kind of the crux of some people's argument is, is the coaches come and go as they want. Uh, Brad Underwood at Oklahoma yeah. State for one year. Um, so that's I get it. But at the same time, I just I don't know how this helps college basketball letting guys if they put the GPA requirement requirement on it, that's better. But I mean, how many people does it actually? Get? I mean, I, I think that requirement needs to be there. Well, you're right. Like you said, if you have a kid who's at Northern Illinois, or Western, or whoever, who's really really good, the coach recruited this kid because other coaches missed on him. Now he's able to leave to go help somebody else, and now you're struggling again. I don't see the benefit behind it. I just but, don't. But I mean, we're I, seeing it. The NCAA, we're seeing it even now, Kedrick. I mean, we're seeing a lot of guys who are w- willing to serve out a year just to transfer to someplace else. Yeah, you're right. And if the, if the NCAA wants to do something, 
get these, get rid of the rules. I'm sick of watching the files. I, I don't want to see that. If they want to make some changes, do something with that. This is not good for college coaches. And I know, you know, and some coaches will try to, you know, finagle the system and, and, and get around things. But I could just see, can you imagine right now if Illinois only had eight scholarship players? Because that's, that's very possible. If those kids were unhappy, say Kipper Nichols was unhappy, Mark Smith was unhappy, Aaron Jordan was unhappy, where's your bench? And then you don't get anybody to transfer in your program. Or you have to go recruit kids who aren't as good as they are just to fill a roster. No, I don't, I, I don't like the rule at all. Well, Kedrick Prince joining us for a couple more minutes here on uh, Saturday Sports Talk. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. Who is safe? Trent Frazier is a John Gross recruit, but it's fitting Brad's system clearly. Uh, Brad's a big fan of his. Uh, outside of Trent Frazier and Leron Black and maybe Ebo, who is safe this offseason? Who's safe? i tell you another guy who's safe but I'm worried about is Mark Smith. Um, Mark Smith was Mr. Basketball. That would be a huge black eye on the program if Mark Smith didn't pan out and didn't work out. Now, if Io comes in and he does what he's supposed to do, then it's not as bad. But I think, you know, and, and I think DeMonte is too. I know DeMonte's made some some crucial mistakes down this stretch, but I know he really, really likes DeMonte as well. Cause, and he knows that they're freshmen and that you got to build around those kids. Um, Aaron is going to get his degree. Aaron is 12 hours away from graduating. He's not going to go anywhere. But I don't, you know, the rest of the people, kids, whatever, it's hard to say because maybe the playing time may not be there for them. People are already concerned about, you know, Tijon next year anyway because you look at the guards, obviously those kids are going to be sophomores, and then you bring an Iowa in, and he's definitely going to play. You can't say he's not going to be on the court. So the minutes wouldn't be there. So he may be a kid that may be thinking, hey, you know what, the playing time might not be there. I made, you know, something happened, I made a mistake. Kedrick, you there? I think we lost Kedrick Prince. You there, Kedrick? No, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep, yep. We lost it there for a second. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So maybe Trent maybe you know, sorry. So maybe Trent may be that guy that maybe who because of the situation and because of the playing time, he may be a guy that may be gone. Trent? No, sorry. Oh, sorry. Tijon. Tijon. Oh, okay. Well I was like, wait, hold on. But don't scare me like that, Kedrick. Come on, man. Sorry. Don't do don't sorry. do that to me. Tijon. Tijon. All right. I was I was worried about this. So, yeah. So anyway, I don't know. It's it's hard. Because like Lawrence Wright, and he knows probably the same thing that I do, you know, that the staff is probably looking at the roster and, they, you know, and who they're going after and what kids. And, you know, I it's unfortunate, but they have to win games. And when you know you're playing basketball and you don't have the athletes to compete, you know, if I mean, let's face it, I think Rutgers has better athletes than Illinois does right now. I really do. And that was a game that everybody thought that Illinois could win years past. It's not, it's not a gimme game anymore. No. no, Corey Sanders is. I a don't big... think it was a gimme game last year. <laughs> no. No. I think that's one that cost Gross's job. You're killing me, Lauren. <laughs> Please don't mention that. I keep having visions of that three from the from the left wing over and over again. The game winner by Rutgers last year. Kedrick, great stuff. We got to run. Uh, we probably keep going on and on, but uh, running short on time today. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll see when that first Big Ten win comes. I'm not sure when that's going to be at this point. Well, maybe Monday night. I'll, I'll, I'll see you guys Monday. Thank you. Sounds good, Kedrick. See you Monday. Bye. That's Kedrick Prince from Illinois Rivals. Give him a follow on Twitter at KedPrince4. We've been pretty negative today. Yeah, we have. And legitimately. But I think we sh- I should remind us both that we've had three overtime games and a, and a 
last shot that indicated Illinois played 39 minutes or, or plus or 40 minutes of pretty good basketball a number of times and, uh, you know, it had bad luck. I mean, really bad luck in, in certain situations. Certainly that shot by Nebraska, was in, uh, by uh, Palmer, was a killer. Illinois, before last night, six Big Ten games, lost by a total of 33 points. The three overtime games, two 10-point losses, and two one-point losses. It's so far, I think they've had seven. So anyway, they've had, before last night, 33 points. Now, I mean, so that, I mean, they could have been easily four wins, could have been four and two. You know, I, I, the two 10-point losses, those are losses. But the loss in overtime to Northwestern, the loss in overtime to Iowa where you blew a 20-point lead at home, the loss to Maryland where you had the game finished, you just had to inbound the ball. I mean, you could have four wins right now and be four and two in Big Ten play. Before last night, I'm sorry. Before last night. And so just disappointing. We're well, taking everybody, including Michigan State, has that big slump, mm-hmm. and everybody has their peaks too. And Michigan State did have a big slump. I mean, they played bad and three games in a row. they were really good last night. Oh. They were really good. They killed it. Did you see what they did to Morgan? No, I didn't. The three guys just completely dominated. The three big guys from Michigan State, Ward and, and Jackson. Jackson and, and – uh, um, the star player, if I can think oh, of Oh, Bridges, 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 yeah. yeah. They, those three guys uh, completely dominated the game, and Morgan had one field goal. He, they, and he's been pretty good Yeah, for Indiana. Yeah, he has been. Michigan State, 85-57, got it back rolling last night after three difficult games for the Spartans. Uh, they lost a couple of those games, didn't play very well, but the Spartans were rolling last night coming into Champaign on Monday. We'll take a timeout, get some of your text messages. Got lots of those to get to. Coming up at 10.30, we'll break down Rod Smith some more. Uh, a new Illini offensive coordinator. What can we expect from him? Stay with us. This is Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Well, they let their power forward handle the ball, and when he's beating our guards off the dribble, uh, that's a problem. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's... Um, like I said, Doug, it, it's it's. Uh, I haven't been been through many of these where where the other team played harder uh, consistently. Uh, I thought we had really good shoot around today, uh, and again, offensively, the first half wasn't the problem uh, for us. You know, shooting fifty four percent, but uh, until we can get five guys on the same page, I say this all the time to our team: quiet teams lose, and you're only as strong as your weakest link, and. Uh, we put guys out there defensively who continually make the same mistakes and, and, and they make them over and over and over, and I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to quit playing those guys. And uh, uh, I was really happy with, with Matisse tonight and I uh, uh, was extremely happy with, uh, uh, with Drew Casey and, and, and the job he, de- he did. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got to continue to, to do what we do and have everybody do that. And, and uh, uh, there are just so many mistakes happening, and I, it, it's frustrating for me. Uh, it's frustrating for our coaches. We spend a trem- tremendous amount of time um, uh, in, in practice doing those things. And then when, when there's game, the game happens, we have game slippage, and uh, we got to get better at it. We do. Brad Underwood, last night talking to Brian and, and Doug on the broadcast uh, following the loss to Wisconsin, 75-50. Reference in there, he's going to stop playing guys, didn't name them. Uh, we'll find out who those are. Start playing, Stop playing guys who are making mistakes on the defensive end, and we'll have to watch to see who those are. Um, I don't want to speculate, Lauren, but, I mean, it could be guys like Kepper Nichols. I mean, it could be any, any number of guys, but we'll have to see. 
Yeah, I think we're going to see more of Eba Bowden. Yeah, he is, uh, he's, he's playing so well. He's got some shortcomings, but he's also got some – he's tall and he can jump and he can rebound and he can make layups. And he gets a few layups every game. He can block shots. Had three blocks last night. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, he's got he's, – He's a quick jumper. Yep, he's got some confidence that he didn't have early in the season. And I know, you know, coming into the season, you know, he's probably not going to provide a lot uh, just besides some – height inside but he blocking three shots a game I mean that, that's not what he's averaging but three shots last night and he's just they threw the ball over the top to him he caught it and laid it in um, he's just playing well right now and uh, he's not he, dominating the games but he, he's playing he well he is a project yes and they're bringing him along and I imagine with the what I see uh, that's left it'll be pretty hard to bring in anybody better than him at that position next year I think it'd be pretty hard to find somebody better I'm sure there there are better players out there, but it'll be pretty hard to get one. Yeah, at this point, yeah, to get them in the April signing period. Well, we're basically we're talk, basically talking about transfers. Yeah, yeah. Let's get some text messages in. I got lots of them to get to today. Six one eight area code is Mark Smith really six foot one rather than six four, or does he have a five inch vertical? He doesn't get anywhere near the rim. Mark's just struggling right now. Um, it, it's could it could be a freshman wall where he's just not getting it. He's learning a whole new thing and. Uh, this happens. I mean, Malcolm Hill wasn't very good as a freshman, and he and Kendrick Nunn didn't play start till late in the season. Uh, I'm not giving up on Mark Smith yet. I think he's just trying to feel his way around, and he's just not playing well right now. They need him to turn this thing around. Malcolm Hill had a shot he could always get. That's true. Yeah, there. That's yeah. That's the difference in those two players. I feel like Mark Smith can get to the rim. I just he don't. He can dunk. Yeah. Yeah, he can dunk. He's just. He's not in a position where he's going to be able to dunk right now because he's just not getting. He's just open not shots. able to break down the defender. That you need you need quick guards that can break down defenders. You look at the guards that are really good anywhere you go, they're quick and they can break down the defender off the dribble. Mm-hmm. If you can't do that, uh, what's your value? Trent Frazier can fly, and that's why he can get by his defender and get to the rim. Well, he's quick and he can make quick moves. Yep. Uh, so we'll have to see. Bill from San Jose. Oh, actually, skip one. Uh, Benny texted, and I predict Michigan State will win by 20 on Monday. Not a hard prediction, Benny. And then he goes, my Indiana Hoosiers will win by 10 on Wednesday. Uh, go to Bill in San Jose. Last week on your program, Josh Whitman did not take calls. I suspect that was his idea because love him or hate him, Mike Thomas always respected the fans enough to talk to them on your show. I that suggest- never came up. Yep. And I'll, I mean, I'll he, get to that in a minute. He, I mean, came, he came in and sat down next to me, and we never discussed it. I mean, we no. I wouldn't. I I think he was willing to take calls. I Absolutely, he was. And let, let let me give you the reason. We had two phone calls last week, and we didn't put those two on the air because Lauren and I had not talked to Josh since training camp, which was mid-August or so, on this program, at least. And we had lots of stuff to get to, and we only have Josh for a certain amount of time. Now, Josh was here longer than I expected him to be, and we were very appreciative of his time. He was he was here for almost forty minutes on air last week. Yeah. And uh, there, I had more topics to get to with Josh, but I wasn't going to keep Josh in here for an entire hour. He has other things to do, other sporting events to get to on campus because, as you've seen as an Illini fan, he's at all of them, almost all of them he can get to at least. And I felt that it was more important that Lauren and I get our stuff in. Josh absolutely would have taken phone calls, but we only got to. There wasn't a bank of phone calls. Uh, Mike Thomas was on every week, and so there wasn't always a lengthy list that uh, Lauren, that you and Steve had to get to. And, and when Jim Turpin also was on it with Mike Thomas, you guys didn't. He was on all the time, so there wasn't always a marathon list of things to get to. Where you and I had quite a few things that we talked about pre-show to cover with Josh, and that's why we we wanted to try to get all those in. I mean, I didn't, but we got a lot of stuff in. Um, so there's no question that Josh would have taken calls last week. We're, I mean, we're not going to even 
you know, go there with that one. Josh is always willing to take phone calls when he's been on, but we didn't even discuss it with him uh, because we just if he if he would have been on for two hours, we would have taken phone calls, but he he wasn't on for that long. Brian and Champagne would love to hear Lawrence take on this. My apologies if he's already discussed on previous shows or in his articles. Brian, I'm not sure what you're referencing there. Uh, you might want to text us back in and let us know what, uh, what you want Lawrence take on. Ken and Champagne, the main question about Rod Smith to me is, would he be an upgrade over the former coordinator? Um, well, <laughs> only time will tell on that. Yeah, I, I don't want to predict that now but he has a lot of experience uh, as being an offensive coordinator for a long time and under rich rodriguez uh it's had some success with several different quarterbacks uh so i would say yes for now but i mean i don't know that to be sure about to see what happens in actual games the situation at quarterback and we discussed this this week at illinois the situation overall situation with the two guys leaving is the worst of the 65 schools in the may two in the five major conferences Mm -hmm. it has to be Absolutely. Yeah. We've got a terrible situation here. Now we can kid ourselves and pretend like it isn't. But right now, you've got, you've got some pay, uh, maybe some players coming in in the fall. I think they'll have at least two coming in, Rivers and one other. I think that'll be the case. But when you go into a season with, with, uh, without any depth of experience, and we don't know if Thomas can play. We don't. I mean, we we know he can can go on the field and take snaps. We just don't know if he's any good. Yeah. We don't know that. And he runs pretty straight up, and he's slender, which would lead me to think that he's going to run the ball a lot because he's fast. But he gets guys hit. that run harder, run a lot, can get hurt. Well, the thing is that um, they're just going to they're going they're just beyond the quarterback situation. And you focus on this all the time, and rightfully so is if the offensive line doesn't work, I don't care who the quarterback is. It's not going to work. And three freshman starters and a redshirt freshman last year, um, that's not a recipe for success. You know that this year we thought it was just terrible that we only had nine seniors, actually eight, but nine mm-hmm. seniors on the that that were on the football team at the end of the season. We're honored on, on seniors. Yeah. Okay. We just got rid, we just got rid of five more. So, uh, who are going to be senior? We now have we are down to nine right now. In other words, by the time they are honoring the seniors this next season, they will probably have fewer than the nine we had this season. Yeah, and the only there way there is no senior leadership. And w- when I say seniors, I'm talking about two classes. I'm talking about the fourth year seniors and the fifth year seniors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good teams have not all good teams. Some like Alabama. You know, just replace them. Year, you know, by the time their juniors are turning pro, but yeah. most of the teams have a class of fifth-year seniors. Yeah, Illinois doesn't have that. No, and they don't. And if they, the only way that number will get higher is if they get fifth-year grad transfers in. Yeah, that's true. You and can uh, do that. But, but I mean, it's just an, the underclassmen are being asked to do a lot at a level. That are, it's not going to be successful unless you're getting five, four, and, and five I, star players. And I just said that the quarterback situation is the worst. In 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 and I, and I somebody could prove me wrong on this because I haven't done a checkup. I'm you don't just need saying, to. We have one scholarship quarterback who is worse than that. That's right. <laughs> and at the same time, defensively, the linebacking situation has now been reduced to probably the worst in the 65 schools. It's uh, with Trey Watson leaving, Julian Jones leaving. Those are. Trey Watson leaving is a big loss. I mean, to me, I, I, when I talked to McGee, he said the one thing I tried to talk Levy into doing was keeping those two linebackers. 
Yeah, I mean Trey Watson's going to be starting for for Maryland this year. Yeah. I don't I don't know where Julian Jones is going to go, but I just heard that uh, Tito Odenigbo is going to Miami. Uh, Miami. Yep, he's in Miami. And, uh, Hurricanes, Miami Hurricanes, not Miami of Ohio. Yeah, and so uh, he's another guy that would play. He's another guy you could plug in there, and 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 he could cause some problems on the defensive line. And Illinois doesn't have enough guys like that. But I I mean what what Lovey is trying to do is get rid of the players that he can't win with and, and try to get new players in that hopefully he can win with. And that's that's the trick. That's what he's trying to do right now because he got rid of a lot of we, – we just lost 12 players that played last year. Many of them started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most of them started. Now the, the, well, Nearly all of them started. Well, George and Crouch, they were never going to play again. No, I mean, they, they, that's right. Crouch for sure wasn't going to play. George might have been – he would have been a second or third string, depending yeah. on how Rivers. I think he realized he was going to come in behind Rivers, and I and and I don't blame him for transferring. He he wants to play football. He's got two years, and if he go, if he picks his school, he can have two years of yeah. good football somewhere. Well, let's take a timeout. Uh, more of your text messages we'll get to later in the show. Again, stay uh, here on the program. Uh, Matt Moreno is coming in at ten thirty to discuss Rod Smith, break him down for us. Covers the Arizona Wildcats. Be good to hear from Matt. Stay with us. This is Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. We just couldn't get stops. Uh, when we started to try to make a comeback, they would just make some tough shots. It was, I remember two, like, end of the shot clock shots where they made threes off the glass. So we just couldn't get stops when we needed to. It was uh, getting the ball wherever they wanted to get it. Um, we not denying the wings like we needed to. It was driving us a lot. We was letting them drive by us too much. And I ain't going to never stop fighting. I ain't going to let Nobody around here stop fighting us. We do. We're going to keep doing that. And that's what Coach trying to build in, in the program, fighting mentality. That's what we're going to have. So we're going to keep fighting it, keep pushing. We're going to play hard every game. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, a couple more text messages we'll squeeze in here um, 217 text from the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, Illinois basketball and football situation, all a result of Mike Thomas's decisions. will be at least another three years before we can get out of this hole. Right now, the streak uh, for men's basketball, women's basketball, and football, 28 straight losses in conference play, which includes uh, the conference tournament. Brian in Nebraska text in, what I saw last night was Hap absolutely dominating the game with the offense running through him. He picked us apart, scoring, passing, and moving without the ball. Wisconsin also dismantled the pressure by using dribble penetration and great swing passing to exploit our terrible rotations. Uh, Lauren referenced the terrible rotations, as did Brad. Our off-the-ball defense has been terrible all year. Underwood needs to adjust his defense to his personnel. And I asked that exact question to you, Lauren, last week. Does he need to adjust the defense? He's played a little more zone of late. Uh, but does he need to adjust the defense to his personnel because his personnel is not playing that uh, pressure defense very well at all? I don't know what you can do, but you could be a little less aggressive mm-hmm. on the wings, I guess. Uh, that's the part of his defense that he wants to emphasize is, is the overguarding on the wings and, and, and helping on, on, on dribble penetration. I, I don't know. I, I, I just don't think that Illinois is good enough no matter what they do. I don't yeah. know if there's an answer – for them in, in any defense that they play. Now, they have games where they force a lot of turnovers. We go back to the Nebraska game, and, and that that game was a bad game on both sides. Yeah, Both teams played ugly. poorly. It was ugly. You know, so when you <laughs> say, you know, Illinois got beat on the last shot, that's true. 
But there was a period in that game where when when Black went out to start the second half, when he got his third foul at the beginning of the second half, Illinois had a 40-34 lead at one point. Mm-hmm. The next thing, they're behind 50-40. to 40. Illinois was on a, a 15-2 to two run looking good, and then Nebraska went on a 14-0 run and took an eight-point lead. And that's where that game kind of changed a little 50 bit. 50 to 40, that's right. And, uh, and, and, and then they put Black back in, but Illinois can't afford to play without Black. No, not at all. Let's take a Particularly quick against the zone, they have to get the ball into him. Oh, uh, yeah, he's, and he's, he's just so automatic, especially when he gets to his spots. Let's take a quick phone call here before we get a timeout and bring in uh, Matt Marino from, who covers the Arizona Wildcats. Marty in Pinehurst, North Carolina. Marty, it's been a long time. How are you? Um, it has been a long time, fellas. How are you guys? Pretty good. We're uh, surviving. Well, I had a little problem. I couldn't get, couldn't see well enough to get hooked on the internet. There's no one else here at ten o'clock in the morning when it comes when you guys come on, and I found out I had a cataract in the one eye that I had a little vision left in. Oh, well, that's not good. Sorry to hear that. Finally, I finally had surgery a week ago, and now I can't use my glasses because I can see well enough to log on without any lenses. So, oh, that's great news. Uh. I don't know about questions. I, I wondered. It's been about three and a half months, so I wondered. I I've seen the scores and the games. I thought maybe you guys could fill me on in on everything that's happened in Illinois sports in the last three and a half months. <laughs> tell people out there, tell people out there not to get too too excited about losses. They lost three overtime games. Eh. They're learning a new system. This isn't an easy system. I I did that when I was coaching. I went from a traditional setup to a high pressure. Uh, pressing at different levels on the court. It takes a while to get that installed. And as John Beeline said uh, in the game they lost, he said, uh, we practiced against this pressure, but Illinois does things that you just can't practice against this. But once we figured out that we needed to dribble penetrate, uh, we kind of figured things out. So Illinois is going to have to adjust there. Uh, but But the one thing I can tell you, I've called a lot of people, friends of mine, they're Illinois fans too, and the one thing they say is, at least this team's fun to watch. You know, last night being an exception, but they haven't won a game at Wisconsin since Gross got there. They haven't won a game against Wisconsin since Gross came in. So that's, that's right. New. That's true. Twelve straight there. losses. Yeah. Anyway, so what's happening in three and a half months, guys? <laughs> well, I'm already a lot. Um, maybe we should uh, have a off-air conversation because I think it'll take about a uh, couple yeah. days. Uh, so just that not a lot of success for a Big Ten play. That's that, that all sums it up. Oh yeah, and we also have to throw in there, Lauren. Uh, what do you think the Cardinals are going to do? Because I have some ideas, but God, no one knows. So you they know will, that throw that will, in. They will do as sports. well as they're pitching, Dunk which is that. true of every team in baseball from coast to Forever. coast at every level. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? <laughs> But we'll talk about the other eight positions until we're out of breath. But it'll all come oh, yeah. down to the pitching anyway. Yeah, we'll worry about the bats, and everyone's saying, well, they don't need another starting pitching bat. I'm like, hey, a good starting pitcher would be okay. <laughs> yeah, good I, I'm sitting there going, I'll take even a veteran. I'll say, take part of the money from Arizona because they want to get Martinez and get Grinky, and take part of the money off of uh, uh, the, the uh, first baseman in Detroit and take him. Oh, Cabrera? You know, yeah, take take uh, short-term. You know, the deals might just be three or four years, and they might be a little expensive, but if you're only paying half of it, Take some veteran presence, and Grinky would look good in a Cardinal uniform. Well, you know what they've done? They've made some trades, but they've kept their pitching. They've kept their young pitching. Yes, they and, have. And they and added a pitcher yesterday. And, and, and my good, money says that Reyes is going to be the closer, too. 
Well, just this year, coming off of uh, you may start that on. way. I think you'll wind up being a starter, but we'll see. Oh, he's going to be a starter eventually, but I think they're going to use him early as a closer, and then maybe bring someone else in in the second half after the trade deadline. But I may be wrong. You know? Okay. All right, Marty, we got to run. Thanks so much. Appreciate All it. Right. Have a good weekend. Yep. All right. Bye bye. Bye. We'll take a timeout. We'll come back with Matt Marino. That's coming up next here on DWS. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. 37 degrees at 1037. Pleased to be joined on the phone now by Matt Marino. Matt, good morning. How are you? Cover the Arizona Wildcats, and uh, you got all the inside knowledge for us today. Thanks for having me. Not a, great. not a problem. Give Matt a follow on Twitter at MattGoAZCats. Well, Rod Smith was announced officially yesterday, was rumored all week long as the next assistant uh, for the Illini football team offensive coordinator. Uh, kind of break us down, Rod Smith. Kind of, you know, how long have you been around him, and uh, what, what was he like? Is just to maybe off the field first. Uh, well, he's been around since kind of the beginning of the Rich Rodriguez uh, era at Arizona. Um, so about six seasons now. Uh, I got to know him. He was really kind of one of the coaches that that really I think the media gravitated toward. Uh, he's pretty much a straight shooter, and he's going to tell it like it is. And um, really, a, just uh, the type of coach that I think players really like whether it's on offense or defense. I think he really connected with a lot of the players, was a strong recruiter for Arizona, and uh, really did some good things for the quarterbacks here in Tucson. Matt is the senior editor of GoAZCats.com, part of Rivals.com. Well, yeah, as you mentioned, he's been with Rich Rodriguez uh, for a long time. We talked about this earlier in the show. Uh, Rich Rodriguez is an offensive guy. Uh, how was he with the quarterbacks and in, in developing the quarterbacks? He, he had some really good quarterbacks you know, at everywhere he's been with Rich Rod. Right, and I, I think the biggest thing with Rod Smith that you look at is his ability to adapt, and that's something we heard about from right when he got here and right when that staff got here in, in Tucson, their ability to adapt to, to whatever quarterback kind of fit what they had. Um, they, they've kind of had guys who have been more passers, guys have, that have ran the ball a little bit more, but um, I think that's something they pride themselves on, something Rod Smith prides himself on, is being able to adapt to the different quarterbacks. And I thought, uh, especially with Khalil Tate, he really did some nice things, uh, obviously, this season, breaking some records and doing some things we've never seen before in the Pac-12. And uh, I think that was really kind of it's, – it's unfortunate that he's not going get, get to get, gonna get a chance to see that through. But I thought he did a lot of good things with the quarterbacks here at Arizona. Matt, over the six years, how did it evolve in terms of calling plays? Did Ritzrod give him much authority that way, or did it change over time? Uh, it was pretty much the same from from day one until until the end here uh, in December. Uh, Rich Rodriguez was the guy. He was the play caller. I mean, that's his job. That's what he wants to do. He wants to be that final authority. Um, what Rod Smith did get to do was kind of control the quarterbacks, be the, be the guy that the quarterbacks turn to and really talk to them throughout the games. But when it comes to calling plays, I mean, that was, that was, that was Rich Rodriguez's uh, job and what he did. And so Rod Smith was more of the guy in the booth kind of giving uh, advice where he could, but it, it in terms of play calling, it came down to Rich Rodriguez and what he wanted to do. So there wasn't a ton of input from Rod Smith in, in that regard. So he was he was calling the plays down from the booth, huh? All the time, he was never on the field. 
<clears throat> no, he was never on the field. He was the guy up in the booth, and he would kind of give advice uh, along with with the co-offensive coordinator, Calvin McGee. They were both up in the booth, and they would kind of say, hey, this is what we're seeing, and then he would ultimately come on Rich Rodriguez to end up calling the play. So um, in terms of what actually got called once it got down to the field, that was all Rich Rodriguez, and, and Rod Smith would kind of be the guy who would, would, uh, be, would be one of the guys who would give his input from up in the booth and say, this is what I'm seeing, this is what I think. Uh, maybe you should do or, or, or look at, and, and then it would end up falling on Rich Rodriguez to kind of make the play call. So we really didn't get to see what type of play caller Rod Smith was during his time at Arizona, so that'll be something new to see. Um, obviously, he's been apart from Rich Rodriguez when he was at Indiana, so he had some of those responsibilities. But uh, in terms of Arizona and, and his role at Arizona, it wasn't, uh, in ter- it wasn't exactly a play caller. It was more of just suggesting certain things and, and talking about different looks and, and uh, relaying what he saw from the booth, but it, it ultimately those play calling duties fell under Chuck Regan. Okay, uh, do you so you see him as a this will be a, a, a new assignment basically for him to be the final authority on the play calls? I think so. I think he did it a lot at, at Indiana as well, but that's obviously been you know six years uh, ago now um, from from that time. So um, I think it'll be something that he'll have to get refreshed on. Um, it would have been interesting to see what type of play caller he was because I know there were some things that maybe he saw differently uh, than Rich Rodriguez, and and, um, and obviously the head coach is going to make that final call. But I think it would have been interesting to see what types of plays he would have come up with um, had he been given that play calling authority and been able to call certain plays for Khalil Tate or uh, any of the other quarterbacks that they've had in Arizona. Anu Solomon is another one that he really had a lot of success with. But, um, yeah, it's definitely going to be something different, I think, for Rod Smith in terms of being that guy who is the play caller. And it's some, not something he's done uh, at least in the last six years. Matt Marino joining us on Saturday Sports Talk here on News Talk 1400 DWS. Give him a follow on Twitter at Matt Cats, senior editor of GoAZCats.com, part of Rivals.com. Uh, you mentioned that he's a, a good recruiter. Was that um, – and, and sometimes – like an offense corner may not he may not have focused as much on recruiting as maybe the offense. I know we you know Garrick McGee here may not have done that as much recruiting wise. What is his areas of focus, his emphasis and and how good a recruiter is he? What is he bringing to the staff as a recruiter here in, in at Illinois? Yeah, one of the things I've been explaining about Rod Smith when, when I've been asked is I think in terms of recruiting power, he's maybe not that that high end name where everyone goes, "Oh, that guy's an amazing recruiter." But he's a very strong recruiter. I think the biggest thing that he did was was he was a consistent recruiter and he was uh consistently bringing in some of the top guys especially he had such a big hand in recruiting the quarterbacks and when you look at who arizona was able to to pull in during that rich rodriguez era that rod smith was a part of uh the two top guys were quarterbacks and he had a hand in both of them and on solomon and khalil tate um they had another one who was a high-end guy uh, braxton burmeister who ended up going to oregon he had all three of those guys uh really kind of uh, under his watch and recruited and had a big hand in recruiting all of them. And so um, his primary areas for Arizona, uh, recruiting at Arizona, were San Diego and the Orlando area. He has a lot of ties to Florida. Um, the fastest player on Arizona's team over the last six seasons was Tyrell Johnson. He was the guy from Florida that Rod Smith had a, a big hand in recruiting. Um, Trey Griffey, uh, the son of King Griffey Jr., was uh, another um, pretty big-time receiver that Arizona got out of the Orlando area. Um, he had a big hand in that. And, and so he's had a hand in really a lot of the top guys that Arizona has been able to recruit um, over the last six seasons. And um, I think he's really found a way to connect with quarterbacks. Um, they like his approach, and I think he's going to be a very strong recruiter. I mean, he's really done a lot for Arizona in terms of building the roster. And um, like I said, I think the biggest thing with Rod Smith in terms of his 
being a recruiter. He's not going to be that guy that uh, that kind of uh, necessarily is the guy that's putting himself out there and making it known, hey, I'm this big-time recruiter. Uh, he kind of just goes about his business and does it. And, and I think the bit, the best way to describe him as a recruiter is just consistent. He's really going to be someone who uh, gets after it on the recruiting trail. It really is a big part of what he does and part of him as a coach. And, and um, I think consistent is the way to kind of describe him as a recruiter. Matt, uh, with regard to Rodriguez and the questions of why he was fired, there was an extramarital affair. There was uh, some, some, some sort of uh, harassment within the department. Were those the reasons, or were they just looking for a reason? I mean, I think it was, it was a multitude of reasons. I think that played into it. They obviously leaned on his on his uh, performance on the field. Arizona had uh, really a strong October um, with Khalil Tate. That's really when he emerged as, as um, a superstar, potentially, in college football and um, won the Conference Player of the Year award. Uh, for that entire month, four straight weeks, and that had never been done before. He was first quarterback to rush for for over a thousand yards in the Pac-12, and they really were were not able to continue that towards the end of the season. Right? And the way I, I've, I've talked about it is, you almost you just kind of saw the the offense under Rich Rodriguez get a little bit stale, um, and that's why I was saying it would be interesting to see if Rod Smith would have been able to call some of those plays, how different it would have looked towards the end of the season when teams started to figure out Khalil Tate and, and figure out how to defend him. Um, but I think you could kind of really see that the offense get a little bit stale under Rich Rodriguez, and I think that had a lot to do with it. Some of those play calls were kind of just the same same old thing and really kind of just trying to do the same thing, and it just wasn't working. And um, So I think it was a lot of different reasons. Obviously, the off-the-field stuff is going to be a big part of it, but uh, I think a lot of it had to do with what the product looked like on the field and not being able to get the most out of what was a pretty talented team and, and definitely a talented quarterback. If Rich Rodriguez got another job next year, which he probably will a year hence, do you think that he would want Rod Smith back with him? I think so. I mean, there's really a, a that core group. Um, I mean, his, when he made that transition over from Michigan to, to Arizona after that year off, um, I mean, he got the group back together. It was a lot of the same coaches that he had at West Virginia, and they've had that same um, kind of core group together. Obviously, some different issues now arise here at Arizona. Um, with the off-the-field stuff, so maybe it's time to, to kind of break that group up, and I could see that being um, part of, of what happens if he does get another job is maybe breaking up that group a little bit. But um, I know he definitely trusts Rod Smith and Calvin McGee, who is now the offensive coordinator in New Mexico. He just took that job as well, and, and they were co-offensive coordinators under Rich Rodriguez here at Arizona. And I think he really trusts that, that core group of guys. Um, one of the big things that happened over his tenure here at Arizona was that the defensive staff, he had to let the defensive staff go because – that system got a little bit stale and got and didn't quite work in the Pac-12, and um, and that was a big moment for him because that, he'd like to keep that core group of coaches together, and that was what he wanted, and that's what he had at West Virginia, and then at Michigan, and, and then at Arizona. So I think there is definitely a chance if if uh, Rich Rodriguez does get another job that Rod Smith will at least get a phone call and, and kind of gauge his interest on, on returning and kind of joining um, Rich Rodriguez again. I know he really trusts, especially. Rod Smith and Calvin McGee, those offensive guys, I know he really, really trusts them and wants them to be part of any staff he's on. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens. But I think at the very least, Rod Smith will get a phone call and at least gauge his interest. Well, uh, Matt, Alana fans don't want to hear that because continuity, as you probably know from afar, has not been a, a thing here uh, for Illinois football for for some time. And I, I think uh, especially, you know, coordinator position and constantly changing head coaches, so Illinois fans would like to keep a, a coordinator for longer, just a couple of years. So we'll have to see what happens there. I want to ask you about Brandon Dawkins, uh, it, potential 
a fifth-year transfer, do you see him staying and being the backup at Arizona, or do you see him transferring out and potentially coming here and joining rejoining Rod Smith? I mean, it's definitely an interesting scenario. Um, I, I think there's some things that would kind of keep him at Arizona. Obviously, uh, last season he, he started out the year as the quarterback, as a starting quarterback. Khalil Tate took over uh, partway through the season, and then um, – Khalil Tate has been a little bit injury-prone. I mean, he hurt yeah. both shoulders during the course of the season, and I think that would be something that Brandon Dawkins would look really hard at um, and, and wonder if, you know, I'm one injury away from, from being the guy. I don't really have to uproot myself and, and move to a different part of the country. Um, I can stay here and kind of finish things out here in Tucson and, and have that chance and really maybe uh, have an opportunity to win a job under a new coach. Um, obviously, Khalil Tate is going to be that guy that everyone – talks about heading into the season, but with those maybe potential injury issues with the shoulders, um, I don't think it's as uh, unreal of a situation for him to think that he could potentially play some games uh, in this upcoming season. So I I think there is that pool to to stay a little bit closer to home, maybe know that it's not that far off to to think that he could be playing again um, and be the quarterback for at least a portion of the season in the upcoming year. But I do think there is that probably that, that feeling of, hey, I can go with Rod Smith. I can be that guy, know that system. I don't have to learn a new system, um, as he will have to do uh, under Kevin Sumlin here in Arizona. And I, I think there would be that pool. I think it certainly feels like the right type of situation for a guy like that who's going into uh, his senior year and really lost his job last season. It feels like all the pieces fit. So I don't think it would be a, a huge shock. I haven't heard anything on my end of it being definitive. Um, I know he's been kind of taking it day by day and really kind of figuring out what he wants to do um, as he gets closer to graduation. But uh, it definitely feels like all the pieces would fit uh, if Brandon Dawkins decides to go that route and in terms of just having that familiarity with Rod Smith, knowing what he expects, what he wants, knowing the system a little bit better and uh, making it a little bit more of an, an easier transition and then having that chance to really compete right away. Well, I know that uh, Brandon's numbers don't blow you away, but what Illinois is Illinois has one scholarship quarterback and uh, it's uh, going to be a sophomore, Cam Thomas, and he played four games last year. Uh, the other two other scholarship quarterbacks left because they weren't going to play. They have a refreshman coming in, and MJ Rivers from Texas, and potentially another one. Um, so they're, they're probably in the fifth year transfer market. So just send them our way, will you? <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Matt. Uh, one final question for you: When I get before we let you go, I want to get your thoughts on uh, Kevin Sumlin. What's the reaction to his hire uh, there in, out in Tucson? Uh, it's definitely been one of uh, excitement. Uh, that's kind of the word we hear a lot of out here in Tucson, and have heard. Um, I mean, he was the fans' top pick when you gauge the fan base and kind of just got the pulse of what they were thinking. Everyone kind of pointed back to Kevin Sumlin. Um, Ken Niamatololo, uh, the Navy coach, had come up as a potential uh, candidate. Uh, there was word that he had an offer on the table, and, and fans went crazy. Players went crazy. Everyone was saying, we don't want to run the triple option. This is not what we're <laughs> about. And uh, it really sent Tucson into a frenzy, and, and, then, and then kind of the 11th hour – uh, Kevin Sumlin's name pops up, and, and he's the guy. And, and he's someone that Arizona fans definitely wanted from the beginning. I think he was, uh, for a lot of fans, he was the only target. They didn't want to hear about any other candidates. They wanted Kevin Sumlin, and to see it work out, I think, uh, for Arizona fans, they've gotten used to, to not – they haven't been to the Rose Bowl. Uh, they're the only team, I believe, in the Pac-12 who hasn't gotten there, and uh, at least in terms of the original Pac-10 teams. And um, just it's it just one of those things that, uh, they really wanted to see happen, and they don't, they didn't feel like maybe you had that chance of really happening and to see it come together and really for Arizona's administration to, to pull it off. I think it's, there's some excitement going to the season. 
have a lot of fans talking about I'm already buying season tickets. And uh, last season at the end, especially under Rich Rodriguez, you, you really start to see the, the stadium look a little bit different, a little bit more empty. And I know it's a problem across college football, but it was really, like I said, I think stale is the way to kind of describe the end of that era. And um, so I think it's ignited um, some fire in the, in the fan base and, and really got them excited about Arizona football. And, um, well, now we'll see what, what it leads to, but uh, I think there's some definite excitement that maybe wasn't there uh, maybe the last six months or so. He's Matt Marino. Give him a follow on Twitter at MattGoAZCats, breaking down the hire of Rod Smith as the new Illinois offensive coordinator. Matt, thanks so much. We appreciate uh, you breaking this down for us. Uh, I knew you'd have a lot more to say about Rod, Rod Smith than we would, so, uh, so I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you very much. Yep. That is uh, Matt Marino once again uh, uh, joining us to talk about Rod Smith, uh, former offensive co- co-offensive coordinator out in Arizona under Rich Rodriguez. Take our final time out and come wrap up the show. This is DW- Saturday Sports Talk on DWS. Larry, you do realize now that we, this group of women you so heartlessly abused over such a long period of time, are now a force and you are nothing. The tables have turned, Larry. We are here. We have our voices, and we are not going anywhere. And now, Larry, it's your turn to listen to me. There is no map that shows you the pathway to healing. Realizing that you are a survivor of sexual abuse is really hard to put into words. I cannot adequately capture the level of disgust I feel when I think about how this happened. Larry, you abused the power and trust I and so many others placed in you, and I am not sure I will ever come to terms with how horribly you manipulated and violated me. Welcome back to Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Lauren Tate, Michael Kaiser with you. That was Allie Raisman yesterday. Uh, U.S. Gym, member of the U.S. gymnastics team in 2012 and 2016 gold medal winning teams. Speaking at the sentencing hearing of Larry Nasser, former Michigan State doctor and you with USA Gymnastics, uh, just been victim after victim after victim speaking this week. It's been a huge story nationwide, and I know we haven't touched on it today, uh, but those are some strong words, and she's not the only one that's had some strong words Collective for Larry. power, really something. It is. U- USGA and Michigan State officials have some answering. Yeah, they really do, and uh, there's a lot of questions that have gone unanswered. Um, Tom Mizzle was asked about it last night, and the, the thing is that it's it's a really, really bad situation that uh, adults were told about this a long time ago, and that just nothing was done, and that's what they're, they, these uh, gymnasts are saying, and then USA Gymnastics have been slow to react to it. There was a, a former gymnast who settled a lawsuit uh, with USA Gymnastics, and they threatened to make her pay $100,000 if she spoke. And then some famous people said, well, we'll pay that fu- we'll pay that money. And so then they backed off and said she can talk if she wants. And it's just Larry Nasser actually put it like a six-page letter to the judge and asked if they could stop this. I think it's like four or five days of these uh, victim impact statements. They're still going. And he asked for the judge to stop it because he goes for my mental well-being. And the judge just went off on him. It's yeah. and it was it's just been an incredible um, to see the just the strength and the courage that these women have had uh, this week uh, to speak in front of him because he's just steps away. And uh, you heard Allie Raisman there and just some really strong statements from her and 
uh, just proud of the courage that they've been able to display this week. And it's a black eye on uh, USA Gymnastics, uh, to say the least. Let's get some other text messages in here before we wrap up the show on uh, this Saturday morning. John and Decatur, why the big secret on why Tijon Lucas is not playing? A violation of team rules is all Brad Underwood will say. Um, it would just well, we, we know basically what it is. We know I what it is. And I don't know why we don't say that he was involved in in uh, in pot smoking. I mean, that's what it was. I mean, I said it. Now everybody knows it. And now you know it. It's It's been among the media. It's been widespread. And uh, and that's what that's that's what we've heard. All the players know. Most of the people over there in the in the, in the at the uh, you know at the headquarters of uh, at Bielefeld know. I mean, we know. We've known all along. I guess and now I've said it. Yep. And now you've said that's it. That's what and, it was. Uh, Lauren uh, told you the secret, and he has, he was. I I, was, I got castigated the other day for why, why don't you why don't you say you know what it is? And I said, well, I don't feel comfortable saying it, and I don't feel comfortable saying it now. But that's what it was. People keep asking, and then this is a general statement. This has nothing to do with Tijon Lucas. My feeling, uh, unless it's to do with HIPAA laws or some kind of health thing, if a player gets suspended for a violation of team rules, I think you should add him as a coach. I just think you should. And I, I think that obviously his teammates know what happened, and that's the what, what the coach cares about the most. Hey, guys, this is what happens if you do A, B, and C. You get suspended for this. But I don't know why it's a secret. I thought that I thought the, the based on past experience, I thought that they held him out three games, and by golly, he held him out three games. He, he didn't travel he to did, one he, of them; he traveled to this one. But right. he was there, but he didn't play. No, and and I I just feel like you just add him and let people know publicly the mistake that he made. I'm not trying to shame somebody. He's a kid; he made a mistake. Uh, we were all I was in college; I made mistakes. Thankfully, I um, stayed out of trouble somehow. And but I wasn't a, a major Division One basketball player, and I just you just can't do certain things when you're on scholarship for a major division one sport that you could do where I'm just a regular student. Uh, I, yeah, my education's at stake, but nobody knows who I am. Like these, I mean, you just had, things are different. The rules are different and um, he, he's paying for it. I don't know. You heard Kedrick Prince. I don't know when he's going to play again. That's what Kedrick Prince said. I don't know if he's, when he's going to, when he's going to play again. I don't know if he's going to play Monday night. He might, but it's said a lot last night when Drew Casey played i don't know how many minutes i'll look it up here as we're as we're talking um drew casey last night played nine minutes you may not think that's a lot in a blowout game but he played in the first half he came in the game in the first half not he, he didn't play in the last nine minutes of the game that's saying i mean he, he that's telling Tijon you're not playing right now and we need you on the floor but you're not playing yeah unless you didn't take that same thing from that i that's what i absolutely. took absolutely absolutely i take that from yeah him. i took it from when he said if we have to yeah, you were, you were listening. Before the game, he said, <laughs> is he going to play? Well, if we have to. Mark Tupper said, uh, what's the status of yeah. Tijon? And, yeah. and Brad goes, he's back. Actually, no, he goes, back. It was one word answer. And, and Mark goes, is he going to play? And he goes, available if needed. And I went, he's not yeah. playing. There's no way he's playing tomorrow night. Yeah. So it was uh, disappointing. Uh, I, I'm i one of the few people in the room uh, that likes Tijon Lucas. And if he could get his confidence back. and he, I mean, he's still – played it like half the season last year he's made one three-point shot he's not a three-point shooter this season yeah he's not you a three-point shooter you can't play guard if you're you not a three-point shooter period you can't play guard what the reason i like him he's the one true point guard on this rod like if you don't have to guard somebody that makes it easier to guard everybody it else does. it is yeah I, I i totally understand what you're saying but i think with Tijon and trent on the floor together two point guards one a true point guard i think that helps the offense if Tijon is playing there well and taking care of the ball. There were times this year where he helped the team. Yep. 
No question. When I, there were times this year where Trent and Tijon looked good together. That's happened this season, mm-hmm. but not often enough. Another text message on Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Uh, effort levels are not always the same, Lauren. Ever watch NBA back-to-back games? Well, NBA, that's not even go there. Those guys don't yeah. play to the playoffs. Yeah, there's uh, no comparison. No, there's a lot of things that can affect energy levels. I do agree, though, that they flat-out got out-schemed last night. Typical Wisconsin game. They dictated tempo, pace, and control the game. I think that what I was saying earlier in the show is I don't think every player brings 100% effort every game. I just I just don't think they do. There are some that do, obviously. I mean, but I, I just don't think every player brings it every game. Mark Allstork brought it last night. I think he played hard the whole game. Uh, he, he, had nine, he had nine points. How many rebounds did Allstork have last night? He also had several ten. rebounds. Yeah, he, he, yeah, Mark Allstork had 10 rebounds last night. LeRon Black, three. That's just not going to cut it. I mean, you can't have your – So are you, are you telling me that Black wa- – No, no, no. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I need LeRon to rebound more. LeRon needs to play and play and play and not get in foul trouble. But I, I just need him to rebound more. But, again, he's not really in there banging – you know, as much. And that's part of the reason he doesn't rebound a lot. I uh, wanted to mention uh, Evan Kahn, our producer. Uh, sent the, Randall Grichick, as you, we haven't mentioned today at all, he got traded yesterday uh, to the Blue Jays, joining Ledmes Diaz and going to the Blue Jays. Cardinals got a re- reliever in return. Here's his slash line. This is against the Cubs and against everyone else. So just the Cubs, Lauren. 296 hitter. That's really good. Uh, and this is in 161 plate appearances. So it's a small sample size, but he only plays the Cubs so many times a year. 335 on base percentage, I'll take that, and a 638 slugging percentage. All that's against the Cubs. Against the rest of Major League Baseball, Randall Grichik, 249 hitter, 297 on base percentage, and only a 488 slugging percentage, and 1,386 plate appearances. I would, t- I would tell you very simply, he struck out too much. <laughs> Forget everything else. Yeah, that's true. He struck out too much. He, he and a lot of other <laughs> players, right? But um, give me somebody that meets the ball more consistently. Uh, uh, the Cardinals got uh, in that trade yesterday. If you haven't heard, if you missed it, they got uh, Dominic Leone and minor league pitcher Connor Green. Connor Green does not have good numbers uh, right now. Leone was 3-0 and last season with a 2.56 ERA in 65 games and had – uh, I forget the numbers. Eighty strikeouts in seventy innings. Is that approximately? Correct? Approximately yes. something like that. I don't yeah. have that in front of me, but yeah. uh, so eighty uh, and seventy is good. Yeah. No, I'll take that. I mean, you know, anything over a strikeout an inning is is acceptable. It, it most definitely is. Uh, one final text to get to. This is the worst basketball team since Harv Schmidt last year coaching the Illini. Of the year they had no black players on the team. The coach didn't like black players. Players. I remember Coach Henson. They had a hard time convincing black players to pe- play at Illinois. I don't know if it's the worst team since then. I mean, they're just off to, again, they could have easily could have been 4-2 and two in the Big Ten before last night, and now they're 0-7. So I don't know if this is the worst team. I think people always get caught up in the moment of what's going on right now and forget other things that happen. I mean, but you've been covering this for 51 years. I mean, but so you know a lot more than I'll ever know. But I don't think this is the worst team. No, I don't necessarily think it's I think yeah. this is a better team than Harv had. It, uh, Harv just ran out of players. Uh, actually, uh, the team that um, preceded Lou Henson, that team was really bad. Um, I I don't know. Uh, the 313 Big Ten team with uh, Lucas Johnson, the team that won the Big Ten, I think, the next year, didn't they? Where they went from 3 and 13 yeah. one year to almost reverse their record. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Gene Bartow had a really bad team. He was. Uh, 
four and fourteen in the Big Ten, eight and eighteen overall. Harv's last team was two and twelve in the Big Ten, but I was going to look up the record of the of the team that uh, was that was uh, a team coached by uh, Lon Kruger. They were um, oh they were three and thirteen in ninety nine, and then in two thousand they were eleven and five in the Big Ten and twenty two and ten overall. They they turned that around. In fact, they turned around in the Big Ten tournament. They beat Minnesota, Indiana, yes. and Ohio State consecutively. And all three were ranked in the top 20. And who they lose in the title game? I'm trying to remember that. They lost to Michigan State, that's correct. which yep, that's was right. ranked number two. But they beat number three, number 23, Minnesota, number 17, Indiana, uh, and number 11, Ohio State. <laughs> the Big Ten was really good then. I mean, there's a reason why they were 3-13. and 13. Yeah. The Big Ten right now is not really very good if you base it on what we saw in November. Yeah. Right? I mean, some teams like Ohio State have gotten a lot better. Man, they're looking I mean, good. they lost four games early, and then they, they, they're they really rolling now. Chris Holtman's got that thing going. Now they have Kata Bates-Diop. That helps a lot. He's yeah, really good. Yeah, he's back this year, and Tate's a good player, and he's a solid number four. They picked up a center that can help them, and they got a good point guard. They're, they're pretty solid. I don't think they're deep. But they've no. got a pretty good lineup. Uh, Kata Bates, of course, from the Bloomington Normal area. And Big Ten play, I uh, saw this tweet uh, several days ago. I'm not sure if they played since then. 57% shooting, 23.3 points a game, 9.5 boards per game, 1.3 assists per game, 1.2 steals per game, and 2 blocks per game for Kata Bates, Diop for the Buckeyes. Just a great player. Nice to have him in Champagne. One more text I missed on the Castle Heat and Cooling text line. What I saw last night was Hap absolutely dominating the game with the offense running through him. He picked us apart, scoring, passing, and moving without the ball. Wisconsin also dismantled the pressure by using dribble penetration and great swing passing to exploit our terrible rotations on the ball. Defense has been terrible all year. That's Man. a really good interpretation of what yep. happened. I might have read that already, actually. He didn't yep. say anything about energy, did he? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. No. We'll agree to disagree on that one, Lauren. Um, what I mentioned, uh, former Illini offensive coordinator, speaking of offensive coordinators, Mike Loxley is now the offensive coordinator for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Good for him. Good for him. I had some tough times since he's left here coaching and some personal family things uh, with his son uh, getting killed. And so that's, I'm happy for him, great news for him, and uh, looking forward to him having some success uh, with Alabama moving forward. And uh, coming up a little later today, Illini women's basketball at 5 o'clock. You can hear that game right here on DWS. Dave Lone and Mike Kuhn are on the call. And, of course, tomorrow, AFC-NFC championship games, Jaguars at Patriots at 2. And Tom Brady officially listed as questionable on the injury report due to his hand injury. He would ask yesterday, Lauren, if he'll play. He said, we'll see. I got every dime that you've ever made in your life, whether you still have it on you or not. You'd double he, your money, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah, I would. He's going to play tomorrow on the Vikings at Eagles later on. Um, Shad Khan, one went away from the Super Bowl from a franchise that was in pretty bad shape when he took it over. Yep. So he's made some good decisions there. Tom Coughlin, hiring him in the front office, was one of the good decisions that Shad Khan has made. So uh, hopefully good luck to Shad Khan in, the, in Jacksonville tomorrow. Three former Alana on that team. Aurelius Ben is hurt. Uh, Dewan Smoot and Carol Phillips on that team as well. So we have three Alana in the Super Bowl, but they got to beat Teddy Karras and the New England Patriots. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Went a little long. Uh, thanks so much for sticking with us today. Lots of text messages. Always appreciate those on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line. Thanks to our guests, Robert Rosenthal, Kedrick Prince, and Matt Moreno. Lauren Tate, great stuff as always. We'll try to do it again next week. See you later. See you later. Thanks so much to Evan Kahn as well for Men in the Controls. I'm Michael Kaiser. Uh, thanks most of all for listening. Have a great weekend, everybody. Central Illinois Business is next here on DWS.